0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Friday evening where we are set to continue our uh, Catholic musings. Now, as we have become accustomed to, before we jump into our principal musing for the night on how the Catholic faith dialogues with the culture and our experience of everyday life, we have another question. And the question is this Was Elijah assumed into heaven? Now, this is a question that has been coming up over the past few weeks, and I am not sure exactly why. Sometimes there is an article that gains a lot of steam, and I will get my fair share of questions about it, but in this case, we have a question that has come up more than once with no real reference point other than what is on man's heart, and consequently, the need to talk about it. So, was Elijah... Assumed into heaven, or as it has also come to me, did Elijah die? Now, this is interesting because at first glance, these questions seem to overlap with the emphasis on assumption in one hand and death on the other. But in reality, my friends, they are not one and the same thing. Mary was assumed into heaven, but there is still the question as to whether or not she died, although it is common opinion she did. For the sake of responding to the question, we will focus on the aspect of assumption because my sense of it is the texts in pursuit of understanding really are 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, and 1 Maccabees 2, verse 58. These are texts that deal with where he went as opposed to maybe whether or not he died a physical death. Okay, so that being said, Uh, The question of Elijah's assumption and where he went has really been a point of contested debate and really never has been settled in any definitive matter. I tend to side with John Paul II on the fact that he was assumed into heaven, as was Enoch. And so in mentioning John Paul II, let us go to what he actually said. It was in a general audience in 1999 that John Paul II provocatively said the following, The depiction of heaven as the transcendent dwelling place of the living God is joined with that of the place to which believers, through grace, can also ascend, as we see in the Old Testament accounts of Enoch and Elijah. Now, for context, this audience was about the biblical meaning of heaven and JP2's description of heaven as an image of life in God. Essentially, my friends, JP2 affirms the literal context of Enoch and Elijah being taken up into heaven, which in the case of Elijah brings us to the aforementioned 2 Kings 2, verse 11. Now, the best Hebrew rendering of 2 Kings 2, verse 11 reads as... Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, okay? Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now, the Hebrew word employed for heaven here is shamayim, shamayim, which is the most ordinary form of Hebrew for heaven. This form of the Hebrew is in the present tense, and suggests Elijah actually went up in a whirlwind into heaven. Incidentally, my friends, those who suggest that Elijah went to Sheol, Sheol's the abode of the dead, have to explain, reconcile, really, the went up versus going down. In biblical language, you did not go up to Sheol or go down to heaven, right? That would be like saying, um, when I leave my house, I go inside, right? That, that's, that doesn't make sense. Now, uh, what's more, centuries later, uh, the author to 1 Maccabees seems to affirm the importance of the ordinary use of the native tongue. Now, while it is not a passage referenced in JP2's affirmation of Elijah's immediate presence in heaven, there is great relevance to 1 Maccabees chapter 2, verse 58. The best Greek rendering of this verse is, Elijah, because of great zeal for the law, was taken up into heaven. Here again, the Greek word employed for heaven is Uranos. Uranos, okay? Uh, This is the most ordinary form of the Greek. Again, like in the Hebrew, the ordinary form of the Greek affirms the present reality of heaven during the time of Elijah. Now, What does this do to our Christian sensibilities that heaven was not open for business until the cross? Well, we have to establish that in principle. Mary's Immaculate Conception was based on the fruits of the redemption yet to come, right? So, in principle, God can and does use Christ's redemption for matters that preceded his victory on the cross. You know, with respect to the Immaculate Conception, uh, what's going on there? Well, remember, the angel Gabriel says to Mary, Hail full of grace or rejoice, O highly favored one. The Greek is kekare That Greek is a perfect participle. It is an action completed in the past. You who have already been fully graced, you see, okay? So now, any conversation on Elijah then, being taken up into heaven, begins and ends with what Christ did on the cross. And it should be said also, plainly, that if elijah was taken up into heaven as many do believe me included this would no doubt be an exception to the rule but we must always remember god can do and does what he wants to do <laughs> and in this case i would argue it's even reasonable uh, moreover elijah going up in a whirlwind should not be in contention with mary's assumption in point of fact i personally believe and this is just me Pondering this truth, but Elijah and Enoch are what we could call biblical types of a dogmatic truth. That is, the whirlwind of Elijah assumed into heaven precedes the more perfect whirlwind of Mary's assumption. Okay. Now, lastly, some may suggest that Elijah went to a different kind of heaven than what we typically think about. Well, as explained above, This simply does not correlate with Scripture, and this is what J.P. 2 affirmed, huh? The shamayim is life in God, okay? Not the abode of the dead. All right, all that being said, let us turn our attention to our Catholic musing for the evening, which has us once again reflecting into what we do in the morning and Pardon me for my overdwelling on our ordinary experiences in life, but I am convinced that these kinds of reflections can really behoove us to better grapple with just not understanding faith, but in a more practical way, our life in God, our walk with God. Okay, with that, I pose to you a question that is not too dissimilar to the question I asked you last week What is the first thing you do? when you wake up in the morning now think about that what is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning if not before you get out of bed but stretch right stretch and of course accompanied with that stretch is a yawn we do this instinctively our bodies need to stretch after a good night's rest because what does it do it, it loosens our muscles it helps blood circulate after our heart has been moving a little bit slower than it does during the awake hours. Stretching, though, my friends, is more than just a morning ritual, but a part of our daily routine, especially for those who play sports or exercise on a regular basis. Doctors tell us that frequent stretching is thought to improve our flexibility, which does what but increases the ability of a joint to move through its full range of motion. Consequently, the less stretching we do, the, the less flexible we will become. Now, as we stretch both instinctively and out of our own volition, out of our own choosing, we have come to discover stretching is a good and necessary thing. But, but do we see the importance of stretching in the spiritual life? Hmm? That's the question before us. We know it's good in the physical life, but what about the spiritual life? Well, sacred scripture has much to say on the importance of stretching. In the Bible, the power of God is found in the outstretched hands of his servants. A stretching that brings freedom and salvation to his people. I mean, consider in the Old Testament, we see the outstretched hand of Moses bringing down the power of God in the ten plagues and dividing the waters of the Red Sea. In the New Testament, after Peter doubted, Jesus stretched out his hand to save Peter from drowning. Also, we read of God's servants in the name of Jesus stretching out their hands to heal and perform signs and wonders of God in the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 30. By virtue of the outstretched hand, God heals and restores, bringing freedom and salvation. And I believe, my friends, on these points, two questions arise for us. How do we respond to the good news of God reaching out to us? And what does our response mean for us in our walk with God? Well, first, we respond to the good news of God reaching out to us by returning the favor with our own outstretched hands, right? In the spiritual life, The sign of receptivity is what, but outstretched hands. To the man with the withered hand, Jesus said what, but stretch out your hand. And the man with the withered hand, willing and eager to receive God's healing power, stretched out to Jesus and his hand was restored. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if we wish to be restored in God, we must turn our attention toward God. Stretching out to God. Interestingly, the word intentional comes from the Latin intendere, which literally translates as to turn one's attention, to stretch out. Intentional discipleship, my friends, in the spiritual life begins by what? But turning our attention towards God and and stretching out to him with open hands, ready to receive more of him. And what does more of God translate to but greater flexibility? A greater flexibility that renders the soul more pliable, more docile to follow Jesus Christ, which I might suggest to you brings us to our second question. Once we have received more of God, what does this mean for us in our spiritual journey of faith? But a more distinct, intentional discipleship. An intentional disciple is someone who has not only encounter Jesus in daily prayer, but one who makes the conscious decision to follow Jesus in word and deed, bringing souls to Christ in and through the art of evangelization and catechesis, we could say. Now, the more distinct intentional discipleship is found in the ability to what but stretch, be wholly flexible. Uh, What do I mean? Well, If you are listening to this radio program, this podcast, as someone who is honestly striving to follow Jesus, and you have had a recent encounter with a homeless soul where you have given that soul the cold shoulder, ask yourself, what went wrong? It probably had something to do with a lack of holy flexibility, which is a result of less prayer, less of God in your life. What about the phone call you receive from a loved one who needs to talk to you Right now, but you find yourself in the middle of something you could probably put off. What do you do? Huh? Do you prove your spiritual elasticity by stopping what you are doing and encountering your loved one over the phone? Huh? Brothers and sisters, intentional discipleship should never be reduced to your agenda because really it never was yours to begin with, (laughs) but always open to God's intention. And be assured, our encounters with the homeless and a loved one over their phone is God intentionally desiring to encounter you through the poverty of others. The best discipleship is always found in the ability to be flexible. And so it is, my friends, I close with this thought. Let us imitate the actions of Christ and do so with the words of David. Those words we, we read in Psalm chapter 143, verse 6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land. In this prayer, my friends, our soul will expand in its range of motion, and so will the fruits of our action. Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, never shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you.